This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. The Washington Post headline, Pope Francis opens debate on LGBTQ inclusion, women's ordination, and celibacy. Issues on the table at Vatican Synod likely to provoke conservative Catholics in the U.S. It's writing, of course, about the Roman Catholic Church's Synod on Synodality. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So why are journalists saying that these Catholic debates over same-sex union blessing rights are really just a matter of ideology instead of doctrine? Well, there's two reasons for it. First, the Pope used the word during his remarks in Lisbon not that long ago when he kind of lashed out gently at his American critics and said that they were replacing faith with ideology. So the Pope introduced the word. However, journalists have been using this word for years now instead of using the word doctrine. Because if you think in get religion terms and through some of the phrases we use a lot, I frequently, when others on the site, repeat the mantra that politics is real. Religion, not so much. And then if you continue that kind of equation, if religion, if doctrine affects things that are real, then the motivations for those debates and clashes must be political, ideological. So I think that's what we have here. We have what is clearly a debate about doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church, and specifically about a concept called the development of doctrine. And what does this common phrase in Catholic thought, what does it mean? How does doctrine change? Pope Francis stated that um, you can reinterpret doctrine once the Holy Spirit has given you a greater understanding of what the doctrines meant, which, (laughs) needless to say, that raises all kinds of red flags. But I think we are dealing with a situation where when religion affects things in the real world that journalists value, such as the political careers of Catholic politicos who want to take public stands against the teachings of their church, when doctrine affects real things, like Catholic presidents, Catholic senators, speakers of the House, etc., etc., Catholic candidates, then it must not be doctrine, it must be ideology, because things that aren't real can't affect the real world. So, I mean, that's a quick, rather philosophical (laughs) explanation of the situation. But I also think it's interesting that 
even within the church, this shows up very clearly in a New York Times piece about the Synod and about what the Pope had to say about same-sex union blessings or the blessing of gay Catholics who are involved in same-sex unions. I think that's the way the reformers would word it. This gets us into the heart of the kind of the Pope's arguments, and we'll come back to that. But I think that right now there are Catholics who are saying, oh, this isn't about doctrine. Nobody's talking about changing doctrine except the conservatives who say we're trying to change doctrine. We're not really trying to change doctrine. We're just trying to change pastoral practice of how we treat people in the Catholic Church. So I guess maybe that's a third reason for the problem, and that is that Catholics themselves seem to be having an argument about whether this is all about, really all about doctrine or not. So what did you make of the coverage on the part of kind of the two papers of record, beginning with the New York Times? Well, the New York Times has the main piece in the secular press. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation did something short that's not as important to me as the New York Times. Then you have lots of Catholic coverage. And meanwhile, Catholic Twitter, it's safe to say yesterday, I think someone said that basically Catholic Twitter had a nervous breakdown yesterday. The most important thing, other than the fact that the New York Times piece, <laughs> there's really no attempt to attempt to be fair-minded in the concerns of conservatives in this. And you can tell that right at the start when it's dealing with the five conservatives who sent a letter in the middle of the summer, apparently, to Pope Francis. And this is a very important term that we really need to explain and how this works under Catholic canon law. They sent him what's called a dubia, which is plural for the Latin word for doubts, that they have doubts about something that has been stated in public life, and they're sending formal questions to the occupant of the throne of St. Peter, asking him for his take on these questions. And a key aspect of this is in Catholic tradition, in previous examples, you're supposed to state your question in a way that the Pope can first of all answer with a yes or no. Is the following valid, yes or no? Have the following people made statements that threaten Catholic doctrine, yes or no? Well, I don't think people would consider it slander for me to say that Jesuits, and the Pope is a Jesuit, Jesuits don't like yes and no questions. So they sent him these five questions, and Pope Francis wrote back with lengthy explanations that did not include yes or no answers. So the five cardinals, all identified as conservatives, reframed their questions, sent them back to the Pope. And when he didn't respond, these five cardinals publicized their questions and the Pope's previous answers. And here's what I think is remarkable. Normally, Pope Francis has just been ignoring questions of these kind in the past. But the, I guess to show clarity, the Vatican validated the wording of the Pope Francis' responses. So all of a sudden, on some very crucial questions, 
facing the life of the church, we have some on-the-record material. Just days before the opening of this great, mysterious, and complex synod on synodality, which is kind of a Zen thing. It's a synod about synods, a meeting about meetings. I guess that will be arguments about arguments. You can go on and on with the, this kind of logic. But the truth is, nobody really knows what this meeting is or what its teaching authority is. This is not Vatican III, even though I've seen references to being kind of a warm-up for Vatican III, kind of a, a trial balloon for Vatican III. But the people organizing this gathering have been very open about the fact that they're asking Catholics around the world at the local diocesan level to state their opinions and their concerns about some really big issues. And we're dealing here with the ordination of women, at the very least to the altar diaconate. We're talking about the status of LGBTQ Catholics. We're talking about the receiving of Holy Communion by people whose divorces have never been signified as real, the divorces, by Catholic canon lawyers, their own bishop, etc. We're talking about priestly celibacy, another rather important issue, is on the docket for discussions during these meetings. What happens at the end of the meetings? At the very least, I think, you have Pope Francis being able to say, I heard the Holy Spirit speaking through the Synod, saying that we should consider making the following changes in the life of the church. Now, this is where you get into a distinction between the doctrines of the church as printed on the pages of the Catholic Catechism, the doctrines of the church, and the mere pastoral policies and rules that govern ordinary life in ordinary pews and before ordinary altars. So what is the Pope up to? Trying to figure out what he is doing is kind of a rubric's cube. I combined two images there, the movie The Matrix and a Rubik's Cube. I don't know if anybody's put those together before, but maybe that's what this is. <laughs> anyway, what is the Pope doing? That's a great question. But again, this New York Times piece works you through a couple of statements that I think readers will want to look up for themselves. Early on, the piece says, in their letters, they urged Francis to slam the door on proposals that they believe could erode the doctrine of the church, including the blessing of same-sex unions. Now, once again, notice this is just the opinion, just the beliefs of these five cardinals. If I were the editor, I would immediately ask, okay, what does the catechism actually say? What have previous popes said? What has this pope said before? Because just two years ago, the pope agreed with a Vatican document that said you can't bless same-sex unions. But so this is just these five paranoid conservatives and their adoring fans. The word adoring is literally in the lead. They just believe this could erode the doctrines of the church. So this isn't about doctrine. The pope makes it very clear 
that he isn't changing the Pope's doctrines on marriage. He's just considering pastoral charity about how Catholic priests should respond when they're asked to do a blessing prayer for gay people or gay couples and potentially maybe their relationships, which on Twitter, people immediately said, well, isn't this how the Anglicans started out? You had these blessing services that were not marriages, but they occurred in a church. There were flowers, there were special music, you know, special clothing. There was a big reception afterwards. People exchanged rings or they held up the rings they've already exchanged. And that's not a wedding. It's just a blessing, which brings up the old quote about it walking like a duck, quacking like a duck sort of thing. It's, it just seems to be a secular world distinction, but it's hard to say whether or not it, it changed what Catholics have taught. But the Pope insisted this doesn't change the doctrine of the church. Then the New York Times story goes on to say that these conservatives are just a, quote, small group that is making a big racket in defeat. So they've been defeated in their attempts to not have the church's doctrines change. Doesn't that kind of imply that doctrine is changing? And then you have the leader of the gay ministry, the most powerful gay ministry group in the Roman Catholic Church, New Ways Ministry, saying that I can understand why Cardinal Burke and the adoring conservatives are worried. This will have a tremendous effect on pastoral practice and church life. At which point the question is, well, what shapes pastoral practice and church life if it isn't doctrine? Why would you have church life and pastoral practice if this wasn't consistent with the doctrines of the Catholic Church? And then this leader, Francis Di Marnardo, went on to say that instead of eroding doctrine, the Pope's view on blessing those in unions was a development of it. And Pope Francis himself has added a lot of material to this discussion, that when things flow from the grassroots up, which is kind of his description of the Synod, then it's valid to reinterpret doctrine. So once again, we have an interesting three-step process. This isn't about doctrine. It's about pastoral practice, but this could be a fitting development of doctrine, even though we said that this isn't about doctrine. Is that clear, or is it apparent how strange this is and complex it is? So what should media savvy customers and consumers, what should they expect from coverage of this synod on synodality? What should they be looking for? That's a really tough question because it presents us with a kind of concentrated version of something you and I have discussed many times, which is how do we handle the media right now in general? Simply stated, I think that concerned readers are going to have to have a selection in their social media. They're going to need to have links that take them to places. They need to read the mainstream press, and then they need to read critics of the mainstream press. 
I would suggest they follow the work of our own Clementi Lisi, who is also the editor of a website called Religion Unplugged, and he will be writing like crazy in the days ahead. I think they should seek out, let's say, a liberal Catholic paper, National Catholic Reporter leaps to mind, a centrist Catholic paper like Crux, C-R-U-X, or maybe the website The Pillar, and a conservative Catholic paper like the National Catholic Register, and they should kind of compare what they're seeing there. But I was exchanging some emails with Clementi Lisi earlier today, and he sent me a list of websites that are carrying the actual documents and transcripts of some of the debates from what's happening in the Senate. And if people are really concerned, I'd suggest they actually read the key statements on their own. It's a sad commentary, but that's where we are in the world right now. It's kind of like my ongoing pledge to myself, like during the most recent election, people heard this as partisan coming from either direction. I made a vow never to let Joe Biden or Donald Trump appear on my home TV screen. I just felt this was good for my stomach lining. And what I did instead was if something came up that was important, I looked up transcripts of what the candidates actually said, and then I read the transcripts instead of reading interpretations of the transcripts. That's a lot of work. I don't think everybody would do it, but in the case of this Senate, on key issues, I think that's what readers are going to have to do. So what is next if this pastoral option that's being floated by Francis is accepted or even not clearly rejected by the Senate on Synodality? Well, there's a priest on Twitter who goes by Father V, and I looked up some background on this man, and he is a former chaplain at a Notre Dame University dormitory for men. He's been active in Catholic education at several levels, and I haven't been able to get in touch with him, but his tweets have been very interesting. So let's look at two different scenarios. So let's say that what we end up with here is kind of an Anglican local option on issues of blessing same-sex unions to where some bishops approve of it and some bishops don't approve of it. And this could even be as simple as the Roman Catholic Church deciding not to discipline bishops like in Germany that allow people to proceed with these kind of blessings. I would remind our listeners something we've discussed before, and that's a very important quote from Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who is the Relator General for the Synod, the person who is kind of in charge of shaping its debates and shaping the documents that go into it and the documents that come out of it. Some people have been calling him the head of the Synod, and no, I think that that's Pope Francis. But Pope Francis chose this man, from the European bishop from Luxembourg, chose him to be the Relator General to control it. Now listen to this quote from last year. This man, this cardinal, said that Catholic teachings on, quote, homosexual relationships as sinful are wrong. Jumping ahead, I believe that the sociological and scientific foundation of this doctrine is no longer correct. 
It is time for a fundamental revision of church teaching, and the way in which Pope Francis has spoken of homosexuality could lead to a change in doctrine, unquote. Now, that's the person in charge of the debates and the documents coming out of the Synod. That's the cardinal who is kind of steering the ship, a strategic leader in this. So even if the assembly, the synod, doesn't end up taking a clear position on the blessing of same-sex unions, it could just simply leave the status quo where it is, which is that Rome is not disciplining bishops who are allowing their priests to do same-sex blessings rights without being disciplined. In other words, things are already muddled at the pastoral practice level, and that could just continue. But in the worst case scenario, from the viewpoint of the, what I call the pro-catechism Catholics, this priest said, a same-sex couple will approach Father X with full knowledge that he will not invoke a blessing upon their relationship. The couple then alerts the media, forcing the hand of the local bishop who hates bad publicity. What do you think will happen to Father X? Or if a bishop now, this is back to Mattingly's voice, what if you have bishops who take strong stands against the actions or what appear to be the actions of the synod or how the synod is interpreted or what the pope ends up saying? What if you had a bishop who came out strongly against what the pope has said in the dubia response, like, let's say, the bishop of Tyler, Texas, Bishop Joseph Strickland, who has now gone public with the fact that the Vatican is investigating him and is considering asking him to resign. So you could end up with a situation where people who question the process that led to this kind of embrace of pastoral practice of blessing same-sex unions, those bishops are fine. They're not going to get punished. But the bishops who oppose it could actually end up being disciplined by the church or in some very important cases in the United States. At the very least, they could be denied the red hats of getting to be cardinals. Now, one more case study here. We've talked a lot about situations where you have Catholic schools now being sued by gay Catholics saying, I got fired from my teaching position because I had a secular same-sex marriage and I was fired because of my beliefs. And the school is claiming what courts have called the ministerial exception a very important concept in First Amendment church-state law right now, which is that doctrinally defined institutions, say hospitals, parachurch groups, nonprofit ministries, Catholic schools, maybe even Catholic parishes, some of them are being sued for firing people for these reasons. What happens to the ministerial exception if all of a sudden the person who got fired can say, well, look, the Pope doesn't think it was wrong for my same-sex union to be blessed. He thinks the church should show charity toward me. And while we may disagree on 
the actual Catholic definition of marriage now, with what's in the Catechism, the Pope thinks Catholic organizations should show me pastoral charity. So how could you fire me? So in other words, what happens in the Synod in Rome could for American Catholics, and I guess in other nations, could do away with the ministerial exception that Catholic groups would have the ability to hire and fire faculty and staff on the basis of Catholic doctrines. But what about on the basis of Catholic pastoral practices? Which would be operative? Listeners can think for themselves, how do you think courts right now would handle that argument by gay Catholics who want these Catholic organizations to recognize with charity their same-sex relationships? That could happen. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.